I think we're going to get rolling, folks. Um, I gather some people found Jenny's last night. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I heard about a few unusual flavors of goat cheese and cherry, and what was the other one? A great cayenne chocolate one? Yes. Cucumber. Cucumber. Okay. Anyhow, I think my opening announcement is if you haven't handed in the forms to Dana yet, please hand in the forms to her. Uh, That's the most important announcement. It'll be nice if we ended up um, holding closer to the times on the schedule today than yesterday, particularly because we do want to finish by the end of the day today. That's really useful. Uh, Lunchtime, if it's at all decent, I'd like to organize a walk over to the new library. There is coffee there, and that would be a neat place to go. And I think some of the other local people also know where it is, so it could be more than me doing separate tours of the place. Uh, But let me turn it over to John Mueller and the morning panel. John? Okay, uh, as you know, we're dealing with foreign policy in the election, and we've got two papers, and then I'm going to make some comments of some sort or other. Uh, The first paper is by Gary Jacobson. The title, of course, is in your program. Thanks, John. This is uh, an opportunity to pursue my obsession with all these data on uh, on the war and and on Bush. And uh, uh, I have a kind of a simple argument, and that is that uh, the economic meltdown was important, but that was frosting on a cake that had already been baked and that cake had been baked by, um, by largely by the Iraq War. Uh, and the, the sequence of the argument goes something like this. Um, the Iraq War uh, had a devastating effect on George Bush's standing with the public. As the war became more unpopular, so did Bush. And this is just the monthly averages of Bush approval and war uh, and support for the war from uh, hundreds of polls, eight, eight, seven or 800 polls at each one of these um, for each one of these figures. And you notice they've moved together very tightly. If, if you do the standard kind of regression, it's a kind of coefficient of one uh, <laughs> over, about, uh, over about five years. Right at the end, you see some evidence that uh, Bush's sta- standing detaches from the war a little bit, and that's when the economic meltdown takes place, where Bush's somewhat, uh, standing is somewhat below the war. It dips down, hits his, his lowest in October of uh, of 2008. So it wasn't the economy didn't have no effect on Bush, Bush's standing with the public, but it had very little for most of his entire, uh, until the very end of his, uh, uh, of his presidency. Now, this, uh, the unpopularity of the war and the unpopularity of Bush inflicted major collateral damage on the Republican Party and its image. I have a whole paper about this in, in Presidential Studies Quarterly, which argues that uh, uh, the, the president's uh, standing with the public has various effects on this party's image and, and, uh, uh, and status as a popular, um, uh, as uh, something you want to identify with as an object of popular identification. But just to show you some of the simple stuff, this isn't in the paper, but it's sort of cited in the paper. The relationship between approval of Bush during his, uh, his administration and the uh, favorable or positive views of the Republican Party taken from a number of polls. And you can see it's a pretty tight linear relationship. Um, therefore, as Bush's popularity goes down, so does the, the popular image of his party. It doesn't help the Democrats as much as it hurts the Republicans. But nonetheless, by um, uh, 2008, to, uh, by now, um, the gap between Republicans and Democrats in terms of the party image is about 14 points, uh, which is the largest I've ever been able to find in any of this data over uh, the time series. Um, 
It also, Bush also had an effect, Bush's decline also had an effect on popular identification with the Republican Party. This is using the Gallup data, uh, just doing the uh, uh, um, plotting Bush's approval against um, proportion of partisans identifying with the Republican Party. You can see there's a pretty good relationship there. Looked at the same data in another way. Um, Republican Party identification in red, Democrats in blue. Over the course of the Bush administration, you can see that during the second Bush term, uh, the Democrats developed a pretty large um, uh, lead in popular party identification. If you don't want to just rely on Gallup, but look on a, bunch, a whole bunch of polls, looking at the annual averages of CBS, ABC News, Pew, Harris, and Gallup uh, over a much longer time period, you can see that uh, Republicans are, are in their best shape about 2003. It's all downhill from there um, to the point where by 2008, they're back to where they were uh, about the time that uh, Ronald Reagan was president and they, and they had this kind of surge in, uh, in, in, their, uh, in their favor. Uh, now, this uh, damage to the, uh, to the Republican Party image was particularly uh, prominent, uh, noticeable among younger voters. Uh, this has been mentioned, mentioned before. This is this marvelous, uh, from the marvelous Pew data that my old uh, graduate student Mike Dimmock put together for Pew showing the partisanship of individuals according to when they, uh, who was the president when they turned 20. So the, the, the partisanship of people according to uh, uh, who was in the White House when they turned 20. And you can see that those who turned 20 during the Bush administration, this was just through 2006. This is not, uh, this data ends in 2006. Uh, <coughs> Democrats have their biggest lead uh, of any age cohort. and. As you can also see that this precedes Bush. Clinton, there's a kind of a nine-point lead among the people who came of age during the Clinton administration. So it's not just Bush that made younger voters um, disinclined to consider themselves Republicans, but he kind of pushed it along. He certainly had problems with younger voters. This is the, the Gallup, smooth Gallup, uh, Gallup uh, approval broken down by age group. The blue line there, the 18 to 29-year-olds uh, over the course of the Bush administration, as you can see that they were even more disenchanted with the president than everybody else. Why, I, I won't go into, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's another story, I don't have time to tell that. But it, as a consequence, uh, it was not surprising to find that younger voters were attracted to uh, Barack Obama even before there was a Barack Obama. That is, they were inclined toward uh, any Democrat uh, by the time that, that came around. Uh, now, uh, well, just in terms of... Uh, 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 favorable views of the party. You can see that younger voters um, became much more favorable toward the Democrats over the course of the Bush administration uh, and much more negative about Republicans. So they exaggerate this trend of um, uh, part, uh, uh, the party image differential between the two parties. Uh, now, in terms of the war, uh, as I showed you before, the, the, the war and the president. Uh, uh, standing tracked each other very carefully, very closely. Um, during the uh, 2008, from 2007 to 2008, popular optimism about the Iraq War went up, as the surge uh, worked in the only way that anybody cares about. That is, American casualties went down dr quite dramatically by the end. Like they were much lower in, in the summer of 08 than they had been in, in any of the previous five or six years. Optimism about the war goes up. The war, that, that's that orange line. The war is going somewhat or very well. Uh, support for the war doesn't. 
Uh, John was right. The wars lose support. Uh, when, uh, support for a war goes down and doesn't come back, e even if people become somewhat more optimistic about the war. Uh, but also you can see that green line uh, uh, approval of Bush's performance. Um, that was tracking optimism about the war and support for the war along there. Optimism goes up. Um, support for the war doesn't go up. Uh, approval of Bush goes down. And that's, I think, the effect, final effect of, of the economy there. Now, in the paper, I argue that, that, that the, the war had an effect on both nominations. That is, uh, John McCain gets nominated uh, in part, um, had, had the surge not worked, at least in the, in the way that it had worked, that is, reducing American casualties, then I think the, the McCain candidacy would have been dead. Uh, he was a primary uh, supporter of the surge before it happened. Uh, Bush was carrying out his proposed policy, basically. Uh, and had it, uh, had it not had this effect, then I think he would, he, he would have been pretty much dead. Um, uh, and also, he benefited from the fact that he sewed up the nomination in February just at the time when the economy passes the war as the most important problem. Uh, if the economy had been as dominant as it became later on, then he might have had somewhat more trouble given his uh, admitted ignorance of, uh, of economics. That said, his field of rivals seemed to be so weak for one reason or another that he might have won it anyway. So I don't make too much of that. But on the Democratic side, I don't think you could imagine a Barack Obama candidacy successful nomination and successful presidency without the Iraq war in the background. Uh, it was what he used to uh, differentiate himself from Hillary Clinton. He had opposed the war. She had not. Uh, but also uh, the intensity of dis, uh, discontent among Democrats about the war and about Bush was so intense that um, someone who was really different uh, was very attractive to a large number of Democrats in a way that might not otherwise have been. And I think uh, unhappiness with Bush and the war contributed very strongly to uh, Obama's in incredible fundraising, especially his internet fundraising, which was crucial during the primary season as well as later on. Um, now, uh, just for measurement purposes, I, uh, I, I use a couple of surveys here for this paper. One is the CCES, the Cooperative Congressional Election Study. The other is ANES. Um, and for the CCES, we asked a, a somewhat more uh, nuanced question regarding support for the, for the, uh, uh, for the war, asking people, uh, giving them five choices. One is, you think, was the war a mistake from the beginning and never should have been done and we should get out? Uh, was the war a mistake? We shouldn't have done it, but once we're there, we probably ought to stay and finish the job because otherwise things are going to be even worse. Or uh, it, was a good, it was a good idea, but we screwed up and it's made, been too costly to be worth it. Uh, or it was a good idea and we screwed up, but it was still the right decision and it's okay. Or, and then uh, it was the right decision and we didn't screw up. These were just natural problems you get when you have a war. You're always running into uh, unanticipated problems. There's nothing, nothing new about it. You can see there are, of course, the usual huge partisan differences on this question that have been, be, become common. But uh, there is a, a fair number of people, especially among independents in this kind of middle category of the war was, was a bad idea, but we have to stay there, or the war was a good idea, but we screwed up and we should get, get out. Uh, and analytically, I, I don't want to make anything big about this, but when I analytically, I uh, ended up dividing it into a, a three-point scale. Those who were against the war, uh, that's the blue and the, and the orange, uh, mistake from the beginning or mistake and we should, uh, we should, uh, 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 yeah, no, I, I switched it around. We're right to uh, yeah, the first two, and then the um, no, no, I, no. Blue is one, 
uh, that is, people who were opposed to the war period, uh, two and three people with mixed views, and then three, uh, four and five people who thought it was the right decision might have been mistakes, maybe not. So a three-point three scale. Using that three-point scale, you can, show the, uh, you can show the relationship between views on the war among Democrats and their vote in the primary, their reported, reported vote in the primary. One of the nice things about the CCES is you have a huge N, so you get lots and lots of primary voters, and you can even get uh, about 900 caucus goers uh, in, the, in the survey. Uh, and as you can see, uh, uh, there's a pretty clear relationship between support for the war, uh, views of the war, and support for uh, Obama or Clinton, with uh, Obama doing best among those who were the opponents of the war, and of course having among Democrats a very large majority of uh, opponents of the war clearly helps um, uh, uh, Obama get the nomination. Uh, in a in a multivariate uh, scheme, it, it continues to work. I uh, just did a, a, a simple logit model of a vote to the Democratic primary, forgetting all the, the votes for the other candidates who weren't Obama or Hillary. Um, uh, the war support index has a very strong effect on the vote, even controlling for the things that we know mattered, ideology, um, uh, age, uh, education, et cetera, race, um, uh, that uh, it's clear that the war in this context helped Obama win the nomination quite substantially. She said, that's what it looks like to me here. Um, if we then turn to the uh, presidential campaign, during the campaign, the, the issue of the war kind of was, was buried, uh, basically, by the economy uh, later on. Uh, was talk we talked about this yesterday. But it was also, uh, the edge had been taken off it by what the Bush administration was doing which was by then negotiating a time, uh, a time schedule for the withdrawal of American troops from Iraq. The, uh, the success of the surge uh, kind of emboldened uh, uh, the, uh, the Iraqis to say, all right, uh, it's time, to, time for you guys to go. Let's set a schedule. And so this thing that Bush had been fighting for, for years was suddenly administration policy. And so the distinction between what Obama wanted to do, what the Democrats wanted to do, and what at least Bush was planning on doing um, became smaller and smaller. It was a matter of do we do it faster or slower uh, at most. And so it kind of took the edge off the issue. And so the question uh, I, I asked myself and the data was, well, does that mean that the effects of the war were already incorporated in everything else by the time people voted and therefore it didn't matter very much? Uh, and the answer was no. Uh, there were all these indirect effects, uh, but there were also some direct effects of attitudes toward the war on the vote, and they were quite strong. This is the, the, the simple relationship from the CCES. Uh, as you can see, attitudes toward the war um, are strongly related to, um, uh, to the vote. Uh, I uh, also uh, did, a, uh, did the same thing with the ANES data, similar thing, got similar kinds of results, and then did a couple of uh, multivariate models. Again, um, uh, this is one with using my war support index with the CCES. Uh, to measure the economy in this, I uh, used two questions. One, just whether people thought the economy was the most important problem or not, on the assumption that if you did, you were buying into Obama's frame, and if you bought into Obama's frame, you're more likely to support Obama. And then there was the question of uh, how is the economy doing? It was you know, a five-point scale from much better, better, no change, worse, much worse. There, uh, there were only 6% of the population thought it was either the same or better. I think 1% thought it was better, these kind of deluded people, um, insane folks. So I, I just dichotomized it, much worse or worse. That was the, really the, the important <coughs> distinction there. 
And as you can see, it does matter. People who thought the economy was much worse uh, and uh, thought it was the most important problem were more likely to vote for, um, for Obama. But uh, taking that into account and other variables, uh, I left the ones in there that had significant coefficients instead of giving you all the, all the, all the other things like income and so forth, all the other demographics. Um, uh, and um, basically what you can see is that the war support scale still makes a position on the war still made a, a very large difference in the vote uh, in the CCES. Uh, I did the, uh, a replication with the uh, ANES study uh, with a, a somewhat different measure for war support. They had a couple of questions, a, uh, a, pre, a pre and post question, and I just combined the answers, you know, against the war in both, <laughs> for the war in both, or in mixed, mixed up, uh, switching uh, between the, uh, one and the other, got a three-point scale for that. The interesting thing here is my measure of the economy was one that you think would absolutely predict the vote. Which party is best on the economy, or better on the economy, the Republicans or the Democrats? And you figure that's a totally endogenous to partisanship and should, should be, uh, should have gotten many voters in 2008 that thought that the Republicans were better but voted for the Democrats. But even throwing that uh, party better on the economy in there, you still get a, a big, uh, substantial, significant coefficient on war support and also on, uh, on approval of Bush. Uh, and just to, to take it a little bit further, I, uh, uh, just because the data are there in the ANS, you, have, you can use the feeling thermometers uh, of the presidents to get a more nuanced sense of, of how people reacted to the candidates, uh, at least according to their views on various things. Uh, taking as the dependent variable here the, the difference in the feeling thermometer for uh, um, Obama, uh, my, Obama minus um, uh, McCain, uh, and just running a simple regression and see that uh, the most important or the, the biggest effect was on this uh, which party is better on the economy scale. People who thought the Democrats were better than the Republicans gave uh, Obama 36 more, uh, a 36 degree advantage on the thermometer scale. But nonetheless, the war support uh, index still is 14, 15 points. Bush approval, uh, about 11 points. Uh, the other things working pretty much as, as expected. Uh, so the, the, the take home point here is that the uh, the effects of attitudes toward the war and attitudes toward Bush weren't totally incorporated in all these other uh, estimates, but had a separate and independent effect. And just while I was fooling around with this, um, I stumbled on the fact that people's attitudes toward the economy were strongly affected by their attitudes toward the war. That is, people who were unhappy about the war were more likely to think the economy was terrible and also more likely to think the economy was the most important problem, strangely enough. Uh, so that uh, their attitudes toward the war and the president filtered over into their evaluations of the economy as well. So at least part of the effect of the economy may be attributable to, uh, uh, to uh, experiences with or happy unhappiness with the war. So you can see this, and um, this is the proportion of uh, uh, people saying the economy was much worse according to their opinions on the war. Pretty strong relationships there, and they, uh, they're, it works for partisans of all stripes pretty, pretty directly here. Um, and same thing with uh, which party is better on the warts, um, uh, which party is better on the economy is also reflected, uh, is also um, related to opinions on the war. People who are unhappy with the war were more likely to think that the Democrats would be better on the economy than the Republicans would. Um, obviously, there's endless amounts of endogeneity in here, but I th at least thought it was interesting that the that you think that at least logically there's no connection between 
your views of the war and wh whether you think the economy is in terrible shape or not. But in fact, um, people did, uh, uh, there was a relationship between their attitudes toward the war and whether they thought the economy was terrible, reflecting, uh, I think, again, evaluations of the Bush administration. Uh, uh, and then finally, this, this I wasn't going to show, but I, uh, after the discussion yesterday, I thought it would be useful, this, uh, the, the, the legacy story. Um, I direct your attention to the bottom line here, if you can read it from the back. This is just looking at the relationship between uh, attitudes toward the current president and support for his proposed successor, his party's successor. And if you look at, uh, you, as you can see, McCain did better than uh, either um, uh, G.H.W. Bush or Gore uh, in either category, that is, among those who, uh, who disapproved of Bush or those who approved of Bush. Uh, his problem, of course, was so many people disapproved of Bush that the, the, the difference in the <coughs> approval levels uh, at the end there were, were quite dramatic. Uh, so the, the short story is, uh, is the war does in Bush, Bush, do, uh, Bush and the war do in the Republican Party, uh, Bush the war in the Republican uh, and the decline of the Republican Party helped to uh, produce the nomination of, uh, um, uh, of Barack Obama and, and help, help him to get elected as well with both direct and indirect direct effects. Now, as a contemporary conspiracy theorist, and we know it conspira conspiracy theories are very popular now, you could argue that it's not really Bush and the war who did it, but it was Osama bin Laden. So that the, Barack, the, the Obama administration is the, is the consequence of decisions taken by Osama bin Laden uh, to launch attacks on the United States in uh, in. Uh, 2001 that produced the Iraq War, et cetera, et cetera. Thank so I'll, le I'll leave you with that. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> okay, we'll have to chew. We'll have to chew on that last thing. Um, uh, uh, the uh, the other paper is by Helmut Norpath, focusing mostly on the primaries. So it should be an interesting uh, okay, let me, uh, connection here. Uh -huh. you just take it. You close it. And double. You can just double click on it. Okay, as I was listening to Gary, I was almost wishing that you weren't paying attention to it uh, <laughs> because uh, there were several parts where uh, I, uh, you were sort of preempting my story, but then uh, as I was listening very closely, I thought, well, maybe uh, I have a little different story on that uh, as well, so th th there will be a certain overlap, uh, but then I think we, we probably differ and disagree and might be a risk for some uh, greater discussion about what happened in... Uh, in the uh, primary part of the 2008 election. I don't deal with a general, although I have some, maybe some speculation growing out of my work uh, at the end, but it's really, uh, really about the primary. And uh, uh, I mean, since this is about national security and uh, the Iraq war clearly, uh, as we all know, uh, was a big issue. Certainly the candidates made a big issue, uh, big, big deal about it. Uh, the, uh, the two that won their party's nomination, uh, Obama and McCain, uh, within their respective parties were the ones who uh, had taken strong positions, had a clear profile, um, uh, sort of an opposite size. So uh, where there's smoke, there must be fire. But uh, of course, uh, we all have uh, learned a lot about uh, voting and issues and how difficult it is for voters to handle issues. And in particular, in a primary setting where it's a very confusing sort of situation, the, 
legislative candidate changes and and for voters to have any idea about what's going on there, I mean, much more demanding than in the general election were. I mean, I'm going to have two, and things are pretty well uh, defined by the time you, you get to that, that choice. And when we talk about um, uh, primaries and the nominations we hear, I mean, a lot about viability, electability, uh, momentum, uh, being the front runner and, and getting it anyway. And uh, really don't have much of a literature on uh, sort of the role of, of, of issues at that level. At least I, I couldn't find any. Uh, uh, very, very sketchy, almost uh, no big claims that uh, that issues matter in any particular uh, shape or form. So uh, maybe this uh, paper wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere. Um, uh, I went back and uh, looked at a, at one election, which in many ways is sort of similar to uh, the one that uh, was just concluded, uh, 1968. Uh, some of you with gray hair or no hair uh, <laughs> probably remember it. We uh, were students in those days, at least as I was. I remember this particular gentleman. Uh, he appeared uh, on the campus of my university. Maybe this was even the appearance. Uh, well, I didn't take a picture. I, I can't claim <laughs> that. Just a little uh, point of trivia uh, for those who uh, haven't asked that, that question. Uh, what did Eugene McCarthy's middle name, J, stand for? Joseph. Joseph, you're right. So it was Joe McCarthy. All right. <laughs> Joe McCarthy reincarnated. Why did he use that? No, he never used that. And I, I, I don't, I, 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 either I've totally forgotten about it. I was never aware of it. It was never stressed. When I, when I, when I, when I uh, was looking for a picture for this presentation, I came across that and I saw, uh, Biographical information. Suddenly there was you did Joseph McCarthy. Just spelled out. It wasn't even like I said. Oh my God! I never knew this. That's so okay. So uh, <laughs> uh, it, it actually might be a little uh, uh, a little useful point to to explain one of the patterns that uh, that I'm going to show you. So uh, clearly, in 1968, McCarthy challenging uh, president over a war and, and taking a very clear stand is sort of a template for uh, for looking at, at 2008 and. Uh, I mean, that was his, his issue, sort of almost a, a one-issue campaign to get out of Vietnam or something uh, clearly opposed to, to the war. Uh, well, it might not be completely clear exactly what he wanted to do, how to get out, and in, in what shape, what, what timeline. I mean, people weren't talking about uh, time schedules or, 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 time, or something like that. But clearly, I mean, the idea was clear. I mean, we should get out there uh, the, the, the sooner the better. So. Uh, what did we what did we see about uh, uh, sort of people handling this issue uh, at the time? So here's some uh, here's a table about uh, the McCarthy supporters in 1968, early on around the time of the New Hampshire primary. And uh, first part is no surprise: the people who thought it was a mistake uh, predominate among the McCarthy uh, supporters to two thirds. Not everybody, but clearly the uh, strong majority. Uh, sort of opposes the war, is critical of the war, thinks it was a mistake, etc. Now, uh, when you look at uh, what these uh, supporters had in mind for the future, uh, you're in for a little bit of a surprise, unless you read the 1968 election study by Congress at all, which uh, makes that point without a table and without any reference to a source. Uh, uh, what you see is that among McCarthy supporters altogether, hawks predominated over dust. Most of them were hawks. And maybe because they're hawks, it was Joe McCarthy. In fact, the old uh, anti-communist, et cetera. Uh, this is not quite the electorate of the New Hampshire primary. That poll 
I wasn't able to get, and I haven't been able to. If anybody knows what the poll was that uh, uh, the uh, Michigan People's Congress at all used the 19, uh, for the 1960 election report, I'd be happy to check it out. Thank I you. have emailed some other people. I've uh, not been able to get this information, but this is a Gallup poll nationally from about the same time, and it really sort of goes in the same direction. So if you want to look at the primary electorate, then of course, let me take Democrats and independents, which independents can vote in New Hampshire, and you clearly see the same thing. I mean, the people who went out there and voted for McCarthy at that early stage were more likely to be hawks than ducks, meaning they did not either understand, comprehend, perceive what the candidate stood for, or if they did, they ignored it, they didn't care about it. Uh, and what this shows, I think, on a more, on a more general level about uh, uh, issues in uh, primaries, a general election, that the issue of Vietnam or the war was a valence issue, not a position issue for, for voters. That if they, they were concerned about it, they were upset about it, uh, they felt it was the wrong thing to do, they wanted it fixed, but they didn't really care to look very closely at sort of how it should be fixed. He was a candidate who made a big deal about it, he campaigned on it, and that was good enough for them. So he got this reputation that, okay, he's gonna get up out of that or find, uh, find a way, but I mean, the, the, the understanding and clearly, I mean, that, that is uh, sort of, I mean, the general Michigan view about, uh, about these kind of position issues that, and to see it in a primary, a new issue, a new candidate, uh, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be all that, uh, all that surprising. Um, all right, so uh, let's turn back to the future, fast forward to 2008, uh, the war in Iraq, and uh, the races for the nomination, separately for the Democrats and, and the Republicans. So first, the, uh, uh, the Democrats, and just to, uh, we've all heard this, uh, here's a statement of one candidate, uh, the most important thing. Uh, and if you're choosing someone who did not cast that vote or has said his vote was a mistake, then there are others to choose from. Well, no big uh, challenge, she said that, and it shows her sort of uh, bind that, that, that she's in about the, the, the war in Iraq, that she had taken the vote, uh, she was never willing to disavow that, that vote or renounce that vote, et cetera. So she was sort of caught, uh, sort of in a very difficult position vis-a-vis -vis the, the, uh, the Democratic prim primary voters. Uh, on the other hand, you have a candidate who was crystal clear, couldn't be clearer, opposed in principle from the beginning to the end, uh, past, present, future, uh, tragic, uh, gets the hell out of it. This is another misprint. Uh, this, is, this is from a statement that he announced. One of the country out by March 2008. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't he have been elected? I don't know. I'm actually, I checked this. This is truly before 2009. I'm sure he said it in 2007, so he probably wasn't thinking about two years ahead, maybe sort of next year after he would be elected. But clearly, the idea was I mean, I get elected, you elect me president, and uh, I'm going to get the country out. So, I mean, it, it couldn't be clearer. Uh, I stand here, and my opponent, well, you know. Uh, she, has, she has lots of problem about uh, explaining herself. So what I did, uh, I don't have sort of the, the rich uh, sort of survey sort that, that, that Gary examined. I used the exit polls uh, from the uh, primary season about uh, 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 30, 30 plus exit polls and entry polls because I, I wanted Iowa in there, obviously the caucus states, so a few caucus states are, are in there. And um, I uh, examined the sort of importance uh, of various issues that voters could, 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 uh, could choose from. 
and how that affected the vote for one or the other candidate. So it's uh, separate for Obama and, and Clinton. So the Democrats had, that, had three issues that they could check, because uh, I can only enter two. Uh, so it's very clear Obama, uh, the importance of the Iraq war was the defining uh, issue for, for supporters uh, uh, for him. Uh, um, he also benefited from health care, incidentally, which uh, should have been Hillary's uh, issue. Her candidacy was the economy. Uh, that little, that little, uh, there's a period missing that's, uh, that's up there. Um, but clearly the, the Iraq war, as Gary, Gary said, and many have claimed, yes, indeed, it was something that drove the, uh, the Obama uh, supporters into his candidacy. Along the line, too, because uh, there are other factors that uh, have to do with the primary voting, uh, Obama was also the great beneficiary of momentum. Uh, estimate momentum in a very simple way as a natural log of the sequence number of the primary. So you get a big, big bump at first, and then it sort of peters off, sort of a non-linear non type of uh, growth function the way Larry Bartell sort of depicts it for the candidates that, that get momentum, like, like Jimmy Carter and, and, and some of those big groups, and then it, it sort of flattens out. And, and for Obama, uh, absolutely, that's, that's part of the story. So Iraq plus momentum somehow sort of combined, fused, and, and uh, gave him the, uh, the support. Um, uh, if you want to, um, oh, okay, so um, now that part, the importance of the issue, the concern about the issue, uh, that's sort of the balance part of the story. Now the question is, what about the sort of policy positions, the preferences that, 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 that voters had on the issue? Unfortunately, the exit poll doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't help us very much. They don't ask that. Maybe they listen too much to the people who believe in mail-in politics that don't even, even bother putting, in, putting, putting anything in. Not in enough. Uh, there's really too little that, that, that you can do. So I went to um, uh, CBS, CBS News poll pretty early in the, uh, in, uh, in the season to, to find out what um, uh, supporters of Obama and uh, supporters of Hillary Clinton uh, Wanted done on the Iraq War. It's really only the the bottom of the of the table that's relevant. So how long should troops stay in Iraq? And if you look at that, it doesn't take very long to see there's almost no difference uh, between the two camps. That is, they, 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 the two candidacies did not differ uh, on the uh, sort of uh, recipe for solving the problem. The pace of, of withdrawal, uh, supporters for Obama and supporters for for for, for Clinton were exactly on the same page. So that could not be uh, something that would help you explain why not why some of these voters were uh, supporting Obama or Hillary. Even on, on the others as well, like the search. Uh, the question is, uh, uh, will the search made things better, worse, or no impact? I mean, the numbers are identical. I mean, you have to do a significant step to, to, mm -hmm. to, to see that. It's almost rounding error. They're the same. And even whether the war is a mistake or not, somehow Hillary did not seem to, uh, I don't know, um, pay, pay any price here as well, uh, the same. I mean, uh, right decision, wrong. Uh, so really on, on, on anything specifically about <coughs> what opinions people had about uh, the war and the future, the two sides don't disagree. But they disagreed how much they cared about the war, how important it, it, it was to them, and so if you cared about uh, the war uh, in Iraq, 
then you were very much more likely to support Obama. This is the, uh, the plot of all the, all the states for which I had exit and entry polls. And uh, in a way, was it a fortunate for Obama uh, in sort of shaping his uh, uh, campaign for the nomination is that a state like Iowa was one with the highest uh, percentage of caring about Iraq, and it was the first one. And he won that, that's sort of an upset, and that sort of sparked the momentum that carried him through other states where the Iraq war often wasn't, wasn't that important. If you just think about West Virginia had been the first with almost, I mean, almost very little concern about Iraq, the economy probably being the much bigger, well, uh, the story might have been very different. So the timing of the primaries, what, what came first, uh, and how important the sort of critical issue for Obama was, had a lot to do with sort of the, uh, the uh, trajectory of his uh, nomination uh, success. Uh, all right, let me turn to the other party, uh, Republican Party. Here we have a statement too. Uh, they've got the win, serious mistakes were made here. I know that military commanders on the ground need more troops. It's up to the leaders who assess the entire battlefield situation to decide. Uh, that's uh, from McCain's statement in an interview at Meet the Press uh, in 2007, uh, before the primaries got, got going. So here, uh, clearly implied uh, strong support for the war, uh, for winning strategy to get out there, uh, the victory uh, in, in hand, and that victory or that strategy required to do more rather than less. It was very clear about that. It identified with the surge, as Gary said, and, and uh, uh, common assumption is that sort of that kind of a, uh, a reputation or association uh, gave him the, 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 the strong hand in the Republican Party. Well, let's, let's see how, how that worked uh, for uh, McCain, that particular uh, element. All right, I've done the same thing for the uh, uh, Republican race that I did for the Democrats based on the exit polls. Uh, um, this time I consider three candidates, uh, uh, McCain, Huckabee, and, and Romney. The choice of issues was different in the uh, exit polls of the Republicans. They didn't ask about health care, but they asked about terrorism, offered terrorism as an alternative, and they, they offered illegal immigration. So you have four uh, instead of three, and uh, so for any, each candidate I can, I can use three. I usually use the three that have the strongest bivariate correlation with the candidate, and I dropped the, the fourth. So for McCain, clearly Iraq is in the mix, and it is the overwhelming issue for, for his campaign. Iraq made his uh, campaign. Uh, uh, the others uh, don't come out very much, but it's sort of interesting by comparison that none of the other candidates had any defining issue. Uh, that is, you might have thought Romney immigration, uh, mm, not quite, the economy comes close, uh, so, so none of the other candidates really had sort of any kind of a clear uh, issue profile. McCain was the only one who, who had that, and it was uh, Iraq. Uh, uh, like Obama, uh, McCain is the one who's, who benefits from momentum a great deal. For him, it wasn't Iowa, it was New Hampshire. That started the uh, momentum uh, trajectory, just about identical uh, numbers. So again, Iraq and momentum, are the kind of uh, uh, two things that uh, power the candidacies of these successful candidates in both parties. Uh, same issue.
issue, but of course for, uh, for a republic in Iraq, would, uh, we would expect would mean something different than it would mean for the Democratic uh, uh, primary voters in, in, those, uh, in, those, in those contests. So, so again, what, what do we see when we look at the, the positions on, on the war, uh, whether there's sort of a distinctive profile and whether sort of the surge, in a sense, elevated or made the campaign of McCain surge to the, to the uh, nomination. All right, again, the exit polls uh, don't help us very much. Uh, this is the, uh, uh, I think it's the same CBS New York poll. Um, looking at the surge in the middle, well, what is sort of maybe startling uh, is that all uh, Republican primary voters saw the surge make things better. The people who voted for McCain were not really at the top of the scale. That is, uh, the ones who thought more highly, but actually, I mean, Romney had more of those who thought it was better. Huckabee and McCain is sort of a wash. <coughs> not quite the kind of uh, uh, distinction that, that you would expect, given that McCain had put so much uh, stock in the, in the search. Uh, uh, going down to the bottom of the table about the future, uh, McCain I don't know when he said that. He might not have said it in the primary that he thought he could stay in Iraq for 100 years. Uh, uh, he certainly was the candidate who said, as long as it takes until we win and come out with, with victory. Well, take a look at this. Only 15% of McCain uh, supporters in primaries took that position. That's a clear minority. Uh, uh, most of McCain voters either wanted out within a year or one to five years. In fact, McCain voters were the most among those in this camp pushing for an early withdrawal, not the other guy. Contrary to the candidate's position, McCain uh, supporters wanted out uh, uh, rather rather quickly than, uh, than later. Uh, on the war itself, where McCain had always said it was the right thing, but maybe poorly executed, um, uh, more, rather than the more McCain voters, thought it was the wrong thing, then, then supporters for the other candidates. So here too, you see that kind of a mismatch between candidate supporters and candidate position that you saw with McCarthy in 1968. And to me, this is all a very clear sign that, that, that Iraq, to these people, is a valence issue, not a position issue. They hear McCain making a lot of noise about uh, about the war, but they're not quite sure exactly. Well, I mean, it, uh, uh, even on the surge, they're probably not not quite not not quite uh, sort of clear on on uh, where he stands and where the other stands. Uh, but they get a sense that that uh, that, that, that he's sort of uh, in a sense a critic of the war. And and I have some other information that I'm not using here. But if you ask, for example, uh, approval of Bush, or you think. Uh, about the war, McCain always comes across as the most, uh, his supporters always come across as the most critical of Bush. So in both parties, essentially, war critics are winning the nomination. It's not because uh, McCain was seen so much as sort of like, okay, he's carrying on Bush and, and he's in that tradition. Uh, it's the opposite. Uh, he's sort of, he's sort of the, uh, the critic, and if he hadn't been that way, I don't think he would have won the nomination. So I don't not quite sure the surge per se, or the success of the surge even uh, mattered that much, but his reputation uh, as sort of a maverick, as sort of a critic, as sort of a, a guy who would do things differently than, uh, uh, than, uh, uh, than Bush uh, helped him a great deal. Otherwise, I mean, people were happy with 
uh, with Bush, etc. I mean, they went to the Romney, Huckabee, or some of the others. Um, okay, so for the overall pattern uh, in the Republican race, uh, quite a quite a uh, quite a clear relationship between uh, the uh, extent to which uh, your concern was with the Iraq War and if that was something uh, that mattered to you for uh, in this particular uh, election. Uh, New Hampshire sort of buried somewhere. I think it's New Hampshire somewhere right here. So a state fairly high among Republican states in uh, concern about uh, uh, the Iraq war and the one where McCain did well and where he sort of uh, launched his uh, uh, campaign for, for the, for the, uh, for the uh, uh, nomination. So just like, like Obama, in many, many ways they're sort of uh, carbon copies of, of, each, of, of each other and was much more like emphasized words like about change, et cetera, but, but I think uh, uh, for the Republicans, McCain was a candidate of, of change, and that's why uh, I think he, uh, he did so well and, and won the nomination, and why probably in the end uh, he wasn't blown away the way you would, ex would expect. People just look at Bush and the bad things and then vote retrospectively and make no difference. No, I think they, 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 they differentiated between uh, McCain and, and Bush, because if, if uh, that hadn't been the case, I think some of these factors would have been, been much more uh, uh, coming through and, and would, have, would, have, would have killed uh, McCain in, in the race. Um, back to the issues generally, um, I think what it shows, yes, uh, issues matter in primary uh, voting, or caucus voting, caucus uh, uh, choices, uh, but the way in which they matter is much more along the lines of the valence model of politics than in terms of the position model. So uh, I'll leave you with that. And Okay, the um, nice thing about being a discussant is you don't <clears throat> actually have to know what you're talking about. Um, it's mostly a matter of sort of raising questions, and my main interest, of course, has been in public opinion and foreign policy, not necessarily in electoral studies. So coming from that perspective, I'd like to make a few points, uh, three to be exact, that sort of strike me as being interesting coming out of these papers, bouncing off these papers, or perhaps uh, in, in addition. Uh, let me begin, however, by what's something I didn't think about until Helmut was talking about the New, about the New Hampshire primary. Uh, I remember shortly after that, some students, I was at the University of Rochester at the time, and a fair number of students went to New Hampshire, which is not very far. And what, what he said when he, uh, in the campaign is at the end of the campaign, uh, the McCarthy supporters almost entirely stressed the following issue. Um, if you vote for Johnson, no one will ever pay attention to New Hampshire because that's what everybody expects. However, if you vote for McCarthy, people will still be talking about this at Ohio State University in 2009. <laughs> uh, in other words, you'll put, McCart you'll put New Hampshire on the map. Um, and he said that's, they, they dropped all the other issues. Uh, so that sort of uh, fits. I don't know if that's a valence thing or not. But um, Okay, what I'd like to talk about is three things. One is uh, the issue about whether there was an anti-war movement. And I'd like to do com sort of a comparison uh, of anti-war movements during Vietnam and the anti-war movement uh, which I, uh, during Iraq, which I think was extremely effective in the second case. Uh, just to rehearse this, this is probably not the audience I need to go over, go over this with, 
Uh, but there was a huge landslide in, in 1964, uh, Johnson winning very handily and uh, bringing in with him, not on a Vietnam issue particularly, but on mostly economic issues or civil rights issues and so forth, a large number of, of, of uh, people into the House, 36 seats, um, uh, who were basically, in a sense, beholden to him. They were on his coattails in some sense or other, I guess, or at least they felt that way. Uh, the next year, 1965, Johnson sends the troops to Vietnam, um, and 1966, the congressional election, uh, and, then, and you get this sort of growing anti-war movement. Uh, there's two aspects to the anti-war movement. Uh, one is a public anti-war movement, uh, which is the one that gets the most publicity and the most colorful. They're always swinging from lampposts and things like that, um, trashing the military, trashing the, the government, burning flags is the, is the image of them. Uh, the other is one working within the party, uh, in particular, of course, in 1968, uh, the ones working for uh, Gene McCarthy in particular, and then later for Bobby Kennedy, who then gets assassinated. Um, however, uh, the, the movement itself was never terribly coherent, particularly during that period. And in 1968, between Nixon and Humphrey, the movement basically stopped, uh, basically voted for Nixon. Um, I blame them basically for electing Richard Nixon twice, in fact. Um, the, uh, uh, if you read uh, Norman Mailer's uh, book, uh, Miami and the Siege of Ohio, uh, <laughs> in the siege of Chicago, um, what uh, he says is Nixon, actually, there's a new Nixon because he'd been to New York, so therefore, of course, anybody goes to New York, whereas Mailer was, uh, starts to become a much more sensible person, uh, and so therefore Nixon will get us out of the war or something like that. At any rate, they mostly stood on their hands. They didn't necessarily vote for Nixon, uh, but they mostly didn't do very much to help Humphrey. Humphrey almost still won the election, which is really impressive. Uh, but the anti-war movement was certainly one of the reasons. Uh, it, it's essential opposition. If, if Humphrey had come into a city, there are big, big signs saying, dump the hump uh, from the anti-war movement. Nixon come into the same city, no signs at all in protest. Um, there is then, after the election, uh, many Democrats then moved in a direction of an being anti-war because they no longer were cross-pressured because there's no longer Johnson's war. It's Nixon's war. Um, and became more respectable in some sense. Uh, in the, after the Cambodian invasion and the Kent State thing that took place in the spring of 2000, uh, 1970, there was an effort also to try to change Congress with uh, only very limited success. Uh, then in 1972, um, Nixon was up again, and the anti-war movement, which now basically dominated the Democratic Party, came up with the worst candidate in the history of the universe, George McGovern. Uh, McGovern did even worse as a percentage of two-party vote than Goldwater had done in 1964 which is a massive achievement because Goldwater is up against an extremely popular president right after, your, right after Kennedy's assassination, um, and uh, Nixon was certainly vulnerable. Anyway, actually, uh, I was interviewed for the New York Times a long time ago, like 20 years ago, and I made that point that McGovern was a really terrible candidate, and McGovern wrote me. <laughs> and he said, how did you, you come to that conclusion? It was actually in the article, but I explained what I just explained. And I also said, you know, nonetheless, I voted for you, so I guess I made him feel <laughs> That probably made him feel better, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but basically I think it was mostly substantially counterproductive. This is numbers from 1968. Um, after the um, riots, uh, the police riot, basically, at the Chicago Convention, uh, and as you can see, 25% of the people thought that the Chicago police did not use enough force against the anti-war movement. And then from the NES state, uh, 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 survey of 1968, the feeling thermometer of Vietnam War protesters was that 35% of them put them at zero, and only 16% put them in any place in the top half of the scale. Um, uh, uh, now, let me turn now to the present time. Uh, Anti-war protesters, of course, weren't asked about in the 2008 election, as far as I know. 
Uh, there was no feeling thermometer. In fact, if you ask people, how do you feel about anti-Iraq anti, uh, protesters, people would say, what protesters? Uh, and what I'd like to argue, there was a protest movement, and it's been extremely effective, uh, at least in some important terms. Uh, Bush, of course, was elected in 2000. Um, there was this, uh, the Gore problem with the election and so forth. Um, and then, uh, if you recall, what's happened before 2004 was that the anti-war movement and maybe the party base, generally, was pulling the party against the war in, Vietnam, in, in Iraq. It wasn't the other way around. It's a theme I want to return to later as well. Um, the, uh, they first went for Dean, the New Hampshire, uh, Vermont uh, governor, uh, because he was the most anti-war, and then, then they sort of finessed it, it seems to me, to Kerry, because Kerry seemed to be a more credible candidate, even though he'd sort of voted for the war uh, in, uh, uh, in 2002. Um, so that was, I think, the first move. Uh, Kerry almost won, and Kerry was a terrible candidate. Um, he came here, I mean, in, in election years, the population of Ohio doubles. Um, because you get all these reporters and so forth. You have to use a machete to get through them all, uh, practically. Kerry gave a stump speech here, and it was the dullest thing I ever heard. I mean, he had this audience ready to scream and holler about almost anything, and he just, you know, laid an egg. Apparently did that everywhere. Nonetheless, he almost won. And if he'd, uh, if he'd won Ohio, of course, he would have uh, uh, won the election. Uh, okay, then what happened was the anti-war movement, which did not swing from the goalposts uh, and did not... Um, uh, uh, did not trash the government, constantly saying we love the troops as opposed to we hate the troops, N never calling anybody baby killers, even though a large number of Iraqis have been killed by the United States, uh, American troops in Iraq, uh, and worked, they did the dog work. They went into the House, into the, into the elections, found where, you know, the, the standard thing you're supposed to do, where are the Republicans most vulnerable? And then they got a bunch of anti-war uh, people um, many of them had vet veterans from Iraq uh, to run against uh, vulnerable Republicans. The success in 2006 was fantastic. Uh, more, I think it was at the upper limit of what they hoped for, 30 seats in the House, six in the Senate. Uh, that was not enough to really change policy, uh, but nonetheless it was quite an achievement. Uh, then in 2008, of course, I think they were very important. Uh, Gary talks a little bit about the movement, but I think the, the impetus, and this is something people have to sort out who know more about it than I, but the massive influence, I mean, there's a lot of things going for Obama, his charisma and his race and, and his, uh, his uh, a lot of other policies. Um, but his anti-war stance uh, was certainly something that attracted him to large numbers of people and also caused a huge number of people uh, to support him. Uh, anti-war sentiment uh, of the people who were opposed to the war in Iraq, about 90% were strongly opposed to the war in Iraq. Uh, and I think a lot of the money that came piling in fantastically for Obama partly came from that. And, of course, they won the election um, and also gained in the House. Now, ironically, the person that's probably going to have problems with this is Obama, um, because what happened now, if you compare him to Johnson, uh, Johnson had a favorable Congress, but they'd come in with him. Uh, what has Obama has a favorable Congress, but they don't owe their seats to him. They owe it to the anti-war movement to a substantial degree. Uh, and so now Obama has this problem of Afghanistan, um, and the uh, uh, situation may be uh, problematic for him in trying to get support. There was an article, Washington Post, front page yesterday, day before, saying that uh, Obama is trying to get support for war in Afghanistan from Republicans um, as he's moved more and more to the right. He's appointed nobody. The anti-war movement should be really outraged. As far as I can see, he's appointed essentially nobody. 
uh, to a high foreign policy post who opposed the war in Iraq before it began. Um, okay, second point about the October surprise. Um, um, and Gary talked about this some, um, but it may be the case, and, and both papers actually deal with this, and it's it actually quite surprising to me that the papers uh, seem to indicate that the October surprise didn't work. Um, I'd like to develop that uh, theme a little bit. Um, what an October surprise is, in principle, of course, as you're well aware, uh, was, I think the idea was developed in 1980 um, when the um, the idea was that uh, the, the, the hostage crisis was on and Carter was running for re-election, and the fear from the Republican side was there'd be an October surprise, which is that the hostages would be released in October, and that would cause Carter to win. And so there's a conspiracy theory, which unfortunately proves to be wrong. It's a beautiful one, uh, that the Republicans, particularly Casey, um, the uh, later CIA director for Reagan, um, uh, went to the Iranians and said, uh, don't let them out until after the election and we'll give you a really good deal. Um, anyway, that, so, that was, so he's trying to undercut the October surprise. And apparently total fiction, but the, one of those conspiracy theories that has sort of pizzazz, in my opinion. Okay, well, what happened in this case, in that case, you basically can see there's kind of two kinds of October surprises. One is in that case, it would definitely have helped Carter uh, over Reagan. But other October surprises is not obvious. For example, uh, uh, Peter Fever suggested uh, that in a Washington Post piece a few months ago uh, that there would be a uh, possibly an October surprise uh, in 2008 uh, in which there would be a terrorist attack. Now, if there were a terrorist attack in October 19, uh, 2002, nine, uh, 2008, it's not clear how that would help. Maybe it would help Obama because the Republicans are – you know, falling apart, or maybe it helped McCain because he's stronger in national defense, whatever. Uh, but anyway, the big October surprise, in many respects, was somewhat long-running, uh, but it was the economy. And this may be the first election, um, a debatable position, presumably, in which something that seemed to be extremely important then is completely obliterated as an issue by something that – the surprising issue that comes out, which is obviously the economy, though it didn't happen in October. It happened even earlier. Uh, let me talk first about this in two pieces. Uh, first is the issue of um, the decline of Iraq as, a war, as an issue. And let me go back a little bit. Um, the, uh, this is the, uh, the rubber band theory, uh, as Gabriel Alban called it. Um, it seems to me, and this seems to be a very good way to look at this. Um, if you're looking at um, uh, what Americans want to do is think about domestic issues, the economy, drug problems, crime, unions, whatever. And what happens is that from time to time, by events, they're pulled away, so they have to actually look at international issues. As soon as that issue goes away, it's like a rubber band. It snaps back to domestic. And I think that's what basically has happened. Uh, here's the case of the most important problem during, as you can see, at the end, at, right after World War II, no one is talking about foreign policy. They're pulled back by various um, uh, events, Korean War and so forth. This is the next period. Uh, two points on this are really interesting. One is after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which caused a lot of attention, then the Test Ban Treaty, there's a huge drop back down to almost nothing, or much lower in terms of people supporting uh, or being interested in foreign policy issues. It then rises again here, but that's entirely Vietnam, almost entirely Vietnam, almost no attention to other foreign policy issues. Uh, and then when the troops come home, the prisoners come home, in January 1973, attention drops basically to almost nothing and stays there even in 75 when the war actually ends, when the, North, when the communists uh, take over. Um, and similarly on this, let me give you a good example here. 
um, of the way things can pull. This is George Bush the first. And this is his uh, approval ratings, which reached a peak at the very end of the Gulf War in 1991. And his foreign policy uh, approval ratings uh, trace that pretty much. Um, however, what's really, uh, what happened was at the end of the Gulf War, uh, just about all the opinions about Bush improved. So they said, how's he doing in foreign policy? Great. How's he doing on the drug problem? Great. How's he doing on Latin American policy? Great. How's he doing in keeping the taxes down? Great. In fact, there's even one question, how's he doing in keeping us out of war? Uh, and the answer was great. Um, so, but, and so that happened with the domestic, too. That went up, too. But as you can see, within minutes after the end of the war, um, his ratings on the, the economy dropped, uh, and it dribbled off thereafter without anybody probing or causing people to think in those terms. Um, okay, let me uh, – this sort of uh, shows the – uh, trends in attitudes toward um, um, uh, support for the war in Iraq, using the main question I'd like to use. Uh, the, uh, uh, and just to reinforce something what uh, Gary said, uh, the Petraeus report is here and the surge is here. And as you can see, there's virtually no change in support for the war. Give you a little bit more flesh on that. Um, the, as he pointed out, there was a big increase in people thinking that the from, from the Petraeus report in 2007 for, uh, to a year later, Big support in uh, things making things better. Uh, the surge ha having no impact went down. Making progress went way up. And most importantly, the United States is winning the war. Went up 37 percent. Went up to 37 percentage points. 37 um, percent. Um, at the same time, those favoring the war surged from 34 to 33. <laughs> those thinking the war has been worth it surged from 36 to 36. Thinking the war is the right decision surged from 42 to 39. Stay as long as it takes, surge from 26 to 26. And those approving Bush's handling of the war went up one point, which is kind of unfair, because obviously if you think the war is going better, no matter what you think about Bush, you ought to give him some credit. Saddam Hussein, uh, another issue. Okay. Um, the, uh, uh, let me put this on, too. Just, uh, this is the support for the wars by time, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq. And the main point here is just the huge uh, decrease in um, uh, the huge uh, support that there has been for the war in Afghanistan, which may now be finally somewhat eroding, but it's not obvious overall. Uh, but what happens is, if I go back to this, um, uh, is that when things, uh, when, people, when, when basically things get good and no, casualties decrease, people stop paying attention to it. And that was, was what was happening. So let me move on here. Sorry, I have to do this. Uh, here's, by the way, the strongly opposing. I should have had that earlier. But as you can see, uh, the percentage of people opposing the war, which grows well there, the people strongly opposed um, are very, uh, very much there. That may help uh, support Gary's point that uh, not only do they oppose the war, but they strongly didn't. It's sort of built in. And even though people aren't paying attention to the war anymore, uh, they still have this, uh, added, this the, you know, it's still activating. Um, and uh, this is the, uh, the other thing was the rise of the economy. These are very rough numbers. But in mid-2007, the economy is very low. In fact, it's even lower earlier. Uh, by the end of 2007, it's more or less in the same range as Iraq. By the time you get to the primaries, it's doubled. And of course, by the time you get the election, it's much higher. Now, uh, both papers really suggest that um, the, this, October, this is what I call the October surprise, uh, the, the economy totally taking over. It's not any surprise to anybody here, obviously. Uh, if, if the papers are right, this is really interesting because it suggests that October surprises don't necessarily have that much impact. 
uh, at least under some circumstances, that people are already programmed through partisanship or through, in this case, opposition to the war in, or support for the war in, in, in Iraq, uh, that, that it doesn't necessarily affect them all that much. And Gary's point's at the very end that, uh, that uh, it's hard to see how the economy would cause you to be opposed to the war in Iraq, though that's maybe a little bit in terms of money and so forth. But, it's, uh, but if it's really the case that you're opposing the war in Iraq, therefore you think the economy's in the tank, then, then maybe the economy is even less important in that respect. Anyway, that's what I'd like to suggest. Okay, I don't want to take too much time here. Let me add with one final thing that really strikes me as being really interesting from a, sort of an outsider um, is the whole issue of partisanship. Um, and also, I would say, opinion leadership. Um, the, uh, uh, Alan mentioned yesterday that about 90% of the Republicans voted for, for uh, uh, McCain and 90% of Democrats voted for Obama. Um, and um, we seem to be in this incredibly partisan era. Uh, I was talking to Gary last night at dinner. Um, it, the, uh, the Obama ratings are not quite that bad, but it's pretty close to 90% of Democrats approve of Obama, 90% of Republicans disapprove. Uh, and that's really interesting because uh, that does, I mean, those numbers are rough, obviously, and not uh, somewhat exaggerated. Uh, but uh, in the case of Bush, the Bush W, uh, what you had, you can see, see there be a partisan hostility because of the Gore thing. The Democrats really felt, got really mad because they thought the election had been stolen. Um, and, but you don't have that with Obama. And Obama, whatever his problems are, you know, is, is a pretty damn good communicator, much better than George W. Bush. So if this partisanship thing is continuing, um, it's really, uh, um, really interesting. That may be, I know that makes it a transforming election or whatever, transforming decade. But in, to me, at least, it seems to be really an uh, amazing phenomenon. Uh, and if it continues under Obama, that's really impressive. It's, just, it's, it's not just a Bush or, or somewhat Clinton uh, issue. Um, uh, and there's also the huge difference on the war. This is the difference between uh, Democrats and Republicans. When Nixon came in, it switched, became a Republican war. But obviously the differences are very small uh, and uh, otherwise uh, and, um, um, uh, compared, to, compared to later. Uh, let me make one final point uh, using some data uh, from... Um, uh, Gary's book, um, which strikes me as being really interesting and actually goes against some of the stuff I've written in the past, and uh, I still don't quite understand it. Um, but um, if you want to compare the two wars, the two Persian Gulf Wars, the George Bush the first war and George Bush the second war, you can't compare the wars very much because they're radically different. Obviously, the second one turned out to be a disaster. The first one was over very quickly and cleanly uh, with, uh, uh, um, and uh, very triumphantly by, uh, for the Bush. First Bush. However, what you can do is compare the run-ups to the war. They are very similar. So the run-up to the first war was a Republican president trying to bring the Democrats online to start a war, which he then did. Uh, and the same thing with the second one. Uh, George Bush II uh, was uh, working more or less in the same time frame uh, to, bring, to bring him along, to, to bring the Democrats along and get support for the war. Neither one, by the way, was able to change opinion very much on support for the war until the war actually began but they at least tried. Uh, the difference between the two was the Democrats. Because in 1990 and early 91, the Democrats in Congress were strongly opposed to going to war, voted against it very heavily, um, and also, um, and also uh, uh, um, uh, camp, uh, you know, were in favor of sanctions and so forth. They weren't opposed to, uh, they weren't in favor of backing out, but they were in favor of sanctions. Um, and, uh, and so what you'd expect, understandably, is that that would be reflected in public opinion, and it was, uh, that uh, Democrats were about 20% uh, more likely 
to, to oppose the first Gulf in the run-up to the war than were Republicans. Uh, the second war, however, uh, they didn't have that. Uh, the Repo Democrats basically took a dive, as the anti-war people would put it, um, and so what they did is just sort of sit there, um, and they, they basically voted for the war, thinking it would be presumably like the first war, be over very quickly, and then we'll get, we'll get Bush in, in the next, next year like we got his father on issues like the economy. Didn't turn out that way, of course. Uh, nonetheless, so therefore, opinion leadership in the first case, the second case, is much lower because the Democrats are much more in favor of the war. Nonetheless, the partisan difference is much bigger. Uh, in, the, in other words, Democrats were 40% less likely to support the war during the second run-up to the war, where there wasn't the opinion leadership, than in the first war. So it really suggests something maybe about this partisanship and the bottom-driving things uh, that's been there uh, earlier on. Uh, okay, let me end on that, and uh, let's so uh, you know, further comments from the chair, uh, panel, or do you want to feel it? was um, in terms of the effect of this shift in partisanship. If you take the a uh, ANES surveys of 2004 and 2008 and look at the shift in uh, the partisan dis distribution of partisans in the electorate, uh, if, if the electorate had looked like it did in 2004 and people voted with the same level of, uh, uh, of partisan consistency, then Obama's vote would be predicted to be 3.8 percentage points lower than it was. That is, 3.8 percentage points of the shift uh, wouldn't be there if the electorate hadn't changed. So it was part of the point of making the point that the, the effect of this shift in mass partisanship on this election. Very strong party line voting, so the change in the distribution of partisans is really crucial. I just I forgot to put that in. How about mobilization? More mobilization. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, that, whatever produced that, uh, that shift in the distribution of partisans in the electorate. Uh, produced uh, a good chunk of Obama's advantage over Kerry. At least if you believe the AP investment. It wasn't really mobilization. I mean, that, was, that was there on the Gallup polls also in the overall electorate. You know, I, I don't support them. They can't be mobilization. No. <coughs> yeah, it's just a very, this is, uh, you know, the, the finding about the attitudes towards the war affecting the attitude. Should be evaluated on looking at economic data, what does unemployment look like, etc. Um, wouldn't necessarily rest on whether or not you thought the economy would be better if we didn't have a war, would be worse if we had the war. Um, so that's what I meant by logically. It's, it's, no, if you're evaluating, you're, you're evaluating an economy right now, regardless of, uh, of what got us there. Uh, it's it's something that ought to be objectively based on the economy. Okay? So if it varies according to your opinions on other things, then presumably your view of the economy is being colored by your views on these other things. That, that's the only point I was trying to make there. Yeah, yeah, there might be a market test. I don't think Obama used that argument. It was a perfectly good argument, obviously, very much in the campaign. 
Um, he didn't say we got to get out of the war in Vietnam because I mean Iraq because it's bankrupting us. They did use it in their Vietnam and it didn't sell very well. They stressed the debts. So, um, so I mean, there's nothing wrong with the argument, obviously, but it's not clear um, that it works politically. Jerry, was your question? Which party is better at handling it? Well, I had two. Uh, in the, in the uh, CCES, the question is, uh, how's the economy going? And in, in the uh, um, NES, it's which party is better on the economy? And, that's, and yeah. both of them are related to, responses to both those questions are related to uh, responses to questions about the war. So one way to be rational is to see the war is going poorly. So your judgment is the guys in Washington are not confident. Yeah. They're also the ones running the economy. It's not going well, but it might be going better if yeah, I think that that one's easy. Yes, you'd expect people to. We thought the administration had screwed up on one thing, but I think they had screwed up on the other. The party had screwed up on the other. But in terms of just evaluating the, the uh, performance of the economy, is at least conceptually, it, it should be orthogonal. There's no contextual, there's no contextual analysis. Uh, for example, in my own very, very limited experiences, uh, talking to uh, Republicans that I know the last campaign, one of the things that kept on coming up over and over again is that his running mate, here's an old man who is sick, and his running mate paid it was absolutely horrifying that this guy would die. So if that affects just 2 or 3% of the electorate, either way, whether Republicans or Democrats, uh, that might very well decide the election. The Sarah Palin effect. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it's the, the Palin effect. Yeah. Um, there is some evidence that for the first time in NES, in the history of election <laughs> studies, the vice presidential candidate may have made a difference. Um, and the estimates I've seen, I don't remember the exact numbers. Alan, do you, that, that uh, uh, she was a detriment, but only a couple of points? Yeah, I mean, I mean actually, her uh, feeling thermometer mean, you know, ends up being very close to Biden. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much difference. But, it, but, she's, a, but, but, but she's more polarizing, and she has a bigger impact. Yeah. You know, it correlates more strongly with uh, other things. Yeah, my, so my, hard to say. yeah, my sense of Palin was that it was like a, a party and then a hangover. Uh, yeah. and, the hang, and the hangover wasn't worth the party. Yeah, yeah. just in trying to, to uh, compare the effect of the economy and, and the war, uh, does it make much difference that uh, on the economy there was rather little variation? The economy was terrible. Uh, I think you pointed out there was of the people, or 1% of the people thought the economy was really doing well. Extremely well, and you figure those people were disillusioned, illusionary. Uh, and, and so you had just everyone down at the bottom of the scale with some variation there. Uh, does that make a difference in, in terms of your estimate of how, of the economy and therefore of the war itself? Well, it probably affects the estimates that there's not, the variation is much worse or worse. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was the, the distinction. And, and it, it makes a pretty big difference whether you think it's much worse or worse. But I, I, I think all these things are highly endogenous. 
that as your views of the economy are shaped by partisanship, they're shaped by your views of Bush, and it's, it's all mush and mush going together in here. You put them all in an equation, they all pop out, but you can't really distinguish them very easily. And I think that you're right that the, the damage the economy did was filtered through part partisanship, you know, very much through uh, Bush's standing, that you know it's, it's his lowest of his entire presidency right around October. Um, so it, 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 its presence is more than it, it, than in the coefficient on the, the economy equations. Um, and I think it shows up probably better than the which party is best or better on uh, not dealing with the economy. But again, that too is highly endogenous to partisanship. It's highly endogenous to the push. So it's hard to separate it out. You, uh, but I think your, your point would be that um, it's so lopsided that it basically shows up as an intercept on the in the intercept somewhere. Uh, and, and I think that there's that there's, there's something to that, and it's hard to tease out with these kinds of models. I want to say something about the Helmut discussion of the role of positional issues in primary elections. But I think your findings are very interesting. I think you're right about what happened in both 1968 and in, 19, in 2008. Um, it, it wasn't really a position issue. Um, part of what's going on now, I think, is that what you really see in your paper, uh, and of course consistent with what Gary talked about, is that the war, was, the partisan divide on the war was so huge that you know, so basically the, the Democrats were overwhelmingly against the war. And the Republicans were not quite as overwhelmingly, but still pretty solidly in favor of the war. So it'd be unlikely that the war would emerge as a positional issue. Uh, and, and in general, I think, uh, Partisan differences are so great now uh, on a whole range of issues that positional issues are unlikely you know, to, to be important in, in primary elections. Uh, so voters have to decide on other, on other things. Um, one would think that in, in an earlier time when there was more intra-party diversity, uh, uh, that positional issues might have made a difference, even though apparently in 1968 that didn't happen. But I wonder what would happen if you look, for example, at the at the war issue in 1972 in the primaries there. Um, so that might be an interesting thing if you can get data on that, because it seems to me that by 1972, uh, you really did have a pretty sharp contrast in terms of what McGovern, when he was running for the Democratic nomination, and I think the war issue clearly propelled him uh, to the Democratic nomination. Uh, again, Humphrey and whoever else was here. Jackson, I think, was really in the beginning. There's some pretty clear policy differences there. So it might be interesting to go back to a time when the intra-party differences were greater uh, and see, uh, you know, maybe in, in that case if, if positional issues really did have an impact. Well, I mean, I would say that the intra-party differences were actually quite uh, quite pronounced. I mean, you had, uh, uh, I mean, uh, on, the, on the Democratic side, you had one with a very clear position, and, and, and uh, Hillary was at a very ambiguous and Really not as as firm, outspoken. Where people wanted something, they wanted a uh, timeline. They, they, they wanted uh, a clear statement of, of, of its role and a statement also on repudiation of, 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 of the war. And and Obama did that. Hillary didn't. And um, so I, I I think there actually was quite quite a good bit of, of positioning in Republican too. I mean, none of the other candidates I think came out. I mean, for the surge when, when, when it mattered, and it, it put McCain really uh, at odds with Bush. 
I mean, I think we shouldn't we shouldn't underestimate that. I mean, there was friction and, 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 and was being criticized you know, by the generals, by by people about that, that, that had wanted more troops and thought it was a, was a disaster. So, I mean, I think actually, I mean, if I, you said 1972, 1972, I mean, Vietnam was done. I mean, there wasn't really much, I mean, the government was talking about withdrawing from something where Nixon had withdrawn. I mean, there was hardly anybody left. I mean, the, 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 uh, no, the, uh, no, we're still going the, the, the combat troops were all off by 1972. No. By, by, by well, they were they fighting there. They were, they were all gone. I mean, they, the, uh, the, 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 the treaty was, I mean, the deal was just about signed. I mean, it was then signed in, in January of 73. Pieces of hand, but it's So, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it was very hard to, to sort of make them Nixon had a primary child. His name was uh, Pete McCloskey. Yeah. Uh, we actually gave him a hard time in New Hampshire. He, uh, he, uh, he won quite a substantial uh, percent, and I think put Nixon a little bit on uh, on the defensive, and, and, and Nixon, Nixon worked much better than he could have been. And Nixon kind of took the man and wasn't really was challenged. But, but you can't really, I mean, there's that, that, no story there. I, I, I would just say the difference, the, the difference is in 2008, I would say, within the parties were much less. But, but there is evidence of position mattering in 2008. If you look at the Republicans' views on the war, those small proportion of Republicans who were anti-war voted for Ron, Ron Paul. Paul. Yeah, Ron Paul. Right. 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 But, but the other fact is, many of them. The, the key thing. Well, well, noisy, no, noisy. You, you, you have you, you have that you have the chart. You have 30, something 30 percent of what of uh, McCain voters thought it was a mistake. I would call them opponents of the war. I mean, the critics of the war, 40 percent, uh, no, no, 30 was 30, percent something. I mean, I, I, I think you, you cannot uh, ignore that McCain had a considerable portion of Republicans who were unhappy about, about the war who came to, to the side, and, and that if he had just been a, a loyal supporter of Bush and said, uh, Bush did it right, and I have no problem with Bush, he would have been nominated. Let me ask you, something comes out of Gary's paper about timing. I mean, Gary argued basically he, he nailed it before the economy really hit badly. If the economy, the Republican primaries had been later, uh, logically that would have helped Romney, presumably, because he's a manager and so forth. The collapse in September, I mean, I think throughout the, uh, throughout the period from about uh, January to, to, to June, uh, so, so the primaries would have to be in January, September or something. Yeah, right, right. right. But I mean, that's a bit of a crash earlier. Yeah, or a crash. Yeah. So yesterday, Harold was dichotomizing issues into traditional war valence. And I was all with him. But now I'm not sure. So, so I feel like the moment that, that this was traditional stuff was <coughs> very convincing evidence that Clinton and Obama and other Republican voters had the same positions. But I'm not sure you've gotten valence down as the option of the alternative. But I think the valence issue is something where the public agrees on the ends. Crime, we'd like lower, the economy, we'd like to grow. Drugs, we'd like to be off the streets, those kinds of things. And it's just a matter of who's emphasizing those issues the most. But here you've got real differences on what ought to be done and what the ends are. So what you find are that voters get to complete ways to rob versus other issues. So it's very much like the findings about abortion and men and women general elections. Men and women have roughly similar issues on abortion, but women wait the issues on both choices and all just that. So you're finding that I don't know what to call that. It's, it's, a, it's a waiting issue, it's to me it's not a balance. 
what I'm saying is that I mean the issue might might be a position issues for elites and, and for for the candidates, but, but the issue does not play out in those terms for the for the general public. Sure, I mean there, there are these different positions. The candidates are very clear about that, but I'm, I'm saying the voters are not uh, are not clear about that. They don't they don't they don't see it that way. And, and for them, the issue you have something that's that's not going well, and you're looking for somebody to fix it. And you have somebody who makes a big deal about it, and you get the feeling that that person uh, can can do what essentially everybody wants, namely, I don't know, some kind of a peace and security and, 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 and lack of uh, lack of trouble in the world, etc. And you gravitate to, to the person who somehow, I mean, the Obama is very clear. I mean, change. I mean, what is what is man mantra? And, and, and uh, so you, you get to trust him that that uh, that uh, that he can do it. But you're not really clear about exactly. Uh, what he wants compared to the other candidates. You're not really uh, sort of following that, and it doesn't really matter that much. You, you sort of develop that, 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 uh, that sort of conclusion, and, and then you go for that. And, uh, and the other stuff isn't relevant. As far as I know, the word valence has never crossed my lips. I don't have a, a stick in there, but my, 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 my Instinct is that is that position valence positions are in valence. That is the reason that you prefer someone in, uh, on some policy ground. It's all sorts of things of competence, but it's also position, and it's all kind of incorporated in these what are taken as measures of valence. That they that they combine various things, and they lead you to say, "Yeah, I prefer him to do this, or her to do this." Um, uh, but it's it, there's a whole bunch of stuff that will go into that. Some of that stuff is position. You know, if you want somebody on economy, you think they're going to do something different about the economy. Yeah. Well, this is to, to, for the younger people and in defense of an anti-war movement. <laughs> um, You're pretty young. I mean, I mean the old one. <laughs> that, the one that, yeah, the Vietnam War. So I just want you to clarify. <coughs> I, just can't, I, I'm not, I think I must have misunderstood you because... Uh, anti-war people dumped the hump because they went to dump the hump and went to McCarthy and didn't dump the hump and go to Nixon. At least nobody I knew. That wasn't the strategy. I'm not, I'm not saying it was the right strategy. No, they, they, no they, they, they were doing it in, uh, in, in a general election, not with McCarthy or Kennedy. The signs are, uh, Humphrey came into Chicago. There were signs saying, dump the hump. Right. Chicago, uh, Nixon comes into Chicago, it's peace and tranquility. One of the big issues at the time was who can bring us together. Yeah, no, no, I agree, but they, the effect, they, they weren't voting for Nixon, though maybe Norman Mailer. So you're saying the, out, the outcome is? Yeah, that they, they sat on their hands. Of course, it's a very close election, so many yeah. could have and, and after the Salt Lake City speech, someone came back, which is one of the reasons for his surge, and he almost won. But I don't think there was any, uh, but, but the, I remember the very well, the trashing of Humphrey. He was constantly being heckled. It wasn't just dump the hump sign. Uh, and they were not trashing Nixon. Well, these were the sort of fringe types, I suppose. But. The toady from Johnson, yeah. Well, farther on the left. Yeah, it's just that if you look at that election in 1968, it's quite, Nixon was more hawkish on the war in Iraq, I mean in Vietnam, than was Johnson. Humphrey obviously couldn't dump Johnson because he'd lose the Johnson wing, and so anybody who knew anything about politics knew that obviously Humphrey was stuck. But if you look at Humphrey's position previously on war and peace issues, he was virtually the only senator who was working in arms control, 
uh, during that time. And so, you know, his position was quite clear that he would be considerably more dovish, but he couldn't come out in a big dovish way because he loses the Johnson wing. And of course, after the election, he did. He became a member of the anti-war movement. Comfort. I remember too from the 60 election study that uh, the positioning on, on Vietnam, what people wanted to do in Vietnam, had no effect on the decision to develop between Humphrey and Nixon. But what mattered was if the issue was a concern, that is exactly the same as the bailout issue. And if, you, if you thought it was a mistake, if you weren't happy about it, uh, I think that, that, that mattered for your choice. And I think it, it, it did favor Nixon because he was the, the opponent and, and, and George Wallace to, to, to where he was in the race, uh, but the positioning itself, where, where you took, what, what you wanted to do, whether you wanted a stronger stand or, or, or a pullout, uh, nobody has ever shown that that affected the vote at all. So that's what I'm talking about, uh, positioning. You don't find that evidence that, that the policy position that, that you take as a voter on it relates to, to, to the vote choice.
this not happened? It sort of adds a thing, a party identification idea that F3 determines. Now we've got this idea that policy position that they get really ingrained, F3 determines. Um, it hurts from trying to get it. Yeah, I wanted to ask a data question on helmet and sunshine. Your table helmet uh, on the Republican nomination really doesn't have many people. I mean, if I'm reading right, you've got 87 McCain supporters, 51 Huckabee, 31 Romney, uh -huh. to show that McCain is really the one that the anti-war people favored rather than opposed. Uh, aren't there more polls out there that would test that better? I know you're trying to get very early away, mm -hmm. but you don't have enough cases to have a lot of you know, confidence in it. And that's why I was wondering in terms of this other data that's out there, this so many other polls that are out there and away from other people. Um, you know, what some of the others look like that also show McCain is getting anti-war support rather than pro-war support, or how it looks. So, um, you definitely see that difference with Makes sense to me. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about this. Uh, you know, the United States has really been, since 2001 or 2003, been involved in not just the Iraq, I mean, it's really been three wars, I think. Um, you know, the Afghanistan thing, and then the global war on terror, which has been this kind of dark side thing with you know, torture and rendition and the black prisons and about our civil liberties and, and all this kind of stuff, which is very, very troubling to many people. And then this, you know, the war in, in Iraq that, that started in 2003. And you know, your conversation almost entirely about the Iraq war, and, um, and especially with regard to the primary in that context, I, I think there's some 
unfinished business um, that you know, we're dealing with now that was never really brought up in the primary because of some peculiarities of the context. Uh, let me explain. Um, in McCain, you know, because he was a prisoner of war in, in Vietnam, had been tortured and was you know, taken up this very firm view against torture. And so when he was nominated, so when he wrapped up the nomination so early, it effectively cut off all the discussion about this, the tactics in the war on terror. Because if you remember, in their early primaries, they, they had asked uh, you know, the Republican nominees about, well, um, you know, what about torture? What about Guantanamo? Uh, they asked Romney, you know, would you close Guantanamo? What would you do with Guantanamo? Oh, I doubled. You know, uh, well, what about torture? You know, these guys were lining up trying to say, oh, I do war and, and this kind of thing. But, but, but all that stopped when, when McCain got the nomination. And then his position was exactly the same as that of all the Democrats on, on that. And so that whole contentious matter just kind of disappeared from, from sight, really. And, and, and now, after the election, uh, you know, Obama comes in, well, I'm going to close Guantanamo. Suddenly, there's all this shrieking on the Republican side. You know, well, but we had an election that decided this. But apparently, it was never really discussed on their side to this kind of satisfaction. You know? um, and so, you know, well, I'm going to uh, end torture. I'm going to end rendition. Well, then Cheney has to come out and start arguing this, because it was never really argued in the context of the campaign. And there are apparently substantial numbers of people on the right who believed that those were the correct kind of policies to follow. But there was no standard bearer of that going through the election. And I think we're paying a price now for that lack of conversation uh, when it really mattered. Well, then the, the counterfactual, I mean, counterfactual would be we had that conversation. The outcome of the election is the same. Obama makes the decisions, and Cheney criticizes them, just as he did. That is. Had, the, had this been discussed, do you think that the uh, Republican right would therefore say, well, okay, the, the elections decided this, we're wrong? Uh, we'd, 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 I think we'd be hearing exactly the same thing. So I, I, I think that no matter what had been discussed in the campaign, the losers don't give up their positions just because they've lost. And, and I don't think they would have been in this case. But I think you're absolutely right. Once you have two candidates who are essentially on the same position, then that takes the issue off the agenda. Trying to differentiate them themselves from one another and getting, you know, taking votes away, and, and if they agree, it doesn't doesn't help them anybody. Do we have time for one more? Uh, okay, Mike. Uh, just just quick question. This is about Iowa. This is like in my internal campaign to defend and glorify Iowa. Helmut's <laughs> uh, slide about uh, support for. Our opposition to the Iraq war and support for Obama, you notice that Iowa was one of the most anti-war states. Right. So I just don't want people to think that Iowa's a bunch of bumpkins. You know. <laughs> <laughs> They've all been listening to you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> crazy left-wingers. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't your candidate, right? <laughs> and, I, and I want to let everybody know I was clean for cheating. I went up to New Hampshire. And you're, you're, you're the picture there? Cut my hair. Uh, uh, the, the whole thing. Yeah, they're, they're trying to yeah. cut the image. Yeah. Yeah. I'm smart. Well, as we break, I want to welcome Professor Gary Kosicki from the Communication Department to our sessions today and great panel. Uh, let's break and get back together in about 10, 15 minutes and talk about this.